Hello and welcome to the Riff Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Noah Levy, and I am speaking to you from my one and only new bushy microphone. I am so happy that Rob and I finally got these. They came um, from Amazon. They sound great. Um, and I just wanted to record this brief snippet before we get started with our special episode with If Ever You're Listening today. This is episode number two, by the way, of the Riff Podcast. So we have a handful of episodes that Rob and I recorded before getting these microphones. So, um, and I, I've been engineering the best that I could, um, the audio of those episodes, but otherwise they still sound for the most part like your normal Skype call. So, um, for these next handful of episodes in our backlog, if you could just please bear with us, um, it's not that the audio quality sucks as much as it doesn't sound as pleasant and amazing as this. So anyway, I hope you all enjoyed the show. Thank you so much for listening, and you know where to find me. Uh-oh. Hello, everyone. <laughs> Welcome to the Riff Podcast. We've got some dogs today. Um, but also, we have um, Dino Olivia co-host. Um, Rob Janik, a co-host, um, and this guy named Stan the Man, um, who is actually the man behind If Ever You're Listening. So for the purpose of this podcast, we are going to call him If Ever. How are you doing today, If, you're, if Ever? You're listening. I'm good. I'm good. No, Rob, it's, a, it's an honor to be here. I feel like I'm meeting famous people. The amount of times I've read your, your <laughs> article. <laughs> but can I get an autograph or something? Uh, digital only, maybe in this world, right? I mean, sure. Yeah. <laughs> you have to talk to my agent first, and, and ask him. And I'm, no, I'm kidding. I don't have an agent. I only have coffee. But, um, <laughs> it's never too late to drink coffee, right? Especially when you're about to have a really insightful conversation on music. Um, so, so you, you know, before we get into into that, though. Stand the man slash if ever. Could you tell us a little bit more about yourself and about your musical background and your musical upbringing? Yeah, yeah. So uh, I grew up in North New Jersey, and uh, in the mid '90s, my parents are children of the '70s. So I grew up on a lot of funk and R&B music, um, Stevie Wonder, Four Tops, Diana Ross. Uh, I also had a lot of like Elton John and George Michael in my life. I, 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 Elton was like the first person I like stand. I was like huge fan for it. Um, and, you know, growing up, my, I have a sister who's a couple years older than me. And so she was really big into like the Spice Girl, Pink, early Pink, uh, a lot of the pop artists of that time, Christina Aguilera. And so that was kind of what was in the house growing up. Uh, Janet Jackson, Mariah Carey, and over time I was looking for my own musical identity, and I think that came in middle school, late middle school. There's like an actual thing that happened that I could like point to. My friend and I were having a conversation about 
Kanye West, of all people. Um, and I was like, he, his, this graduation album, it's 2007. I said, this is the best rap album ever. I said, this album's great. And my friend was like, you have no idea what rap is if you think that's the best <laughs> rap album. And he didn't, he didn't just like <laughs> say that and just make me feel bad because um, we were really close. Since then, for a weeks on end, he would come to my locker and give me a classic hip-hop CDs. And that's where I got an appreciation of uh, the golden era, a golden era of hip hop in the 80s and early 90s. And then kind of like this 90s push that a lot of the artists that we were listening to in 2006, 2007 were kind of inspired by. Um, so that was now I had my own musical identity. Now I was really into it. It was hip hop. It was like this blogger hip hop new age coming up. Kid Cudi was getting big. Drake was getting big. And I was just into that. First concerts I went to were those type of artists. Kanye West and Jay-Z was my first concert. Um, I went to a Drake concert in high school, seen Kanye West again. Uh, and that's when I first noticed he was with Kim Kardashian because they're like, she's at the concert. And, I was like, yeah! and then in college, I don't know exactly what but eventually I just thought to myself, I'm reading all these reviews. I'm on YouTube listening to like Anthony Fantano. I think I can do this too. I think I can do this better. Um, so in 2014, when I was a sophomore in college, I started writing uh, my own reviews. And that's kind of how it began. They were just for me on my Word document. And, you know, the first one was this. Um, was, I was listening to that album today, Nabuma Rubber Band by uh, Little Dragon, a Swedish house band. So That's so interesting. So um, what was I going to say? I, I, I had a question, but then I, I got distracted. Um, <laughs> Rob, do you have yeah. anything to add or, or to ask? I, I do have a question, actually, um, because I, I, I find it interesting. Anytime somebody from one generation learns about something from previous generations to help define their taste. Noah and I talk about this all the time. Mm. And when you mentioned now, it was you were listening to your parents' music, which is great. You mentioned some classic artists, you know, R&B, Motown, Elton John, George Michael uh, and genres. But when you were, you know, found Kanye and kind of felt like he's your thing, he's your guy, he's your, you know, age group, whatever. And then your buddy said, wait a second, this is where he came from. You need to hear this before you get into this. Were you receptive to that, to the point of like, oh, wow, he's right. And listening to the classic hip hop. Or did you say, OK, this is good, but I still like my guy better. Like, were you able to were you open minded enough to, to listen or were you protective of mm -hmm. your music? I was I was open minded. So um, I, I like to learn. I like to to take in more and more information. Like I'm just a sucker for that type of just punishment. Um, and I always think to myself, like, OK, I have an opinion, but what else is there that I could consider? So and I was like that even when I was a little kid, um, always asking questions. So when he brought that up, I wasn't mad. Yeah, I was, obviously, I was just like, no, you're clearly wrong. Because he was a Jay-Z guy. So it was a Kanye <laughs> Jay-Z okay. type of beef. But yeah. then he's, he also had this wealth of knowledge, I think, from his family. And I was open to it. Once I seen the first, it was just like this yellow, like, ShopRite bag of, of CDs. Back when CDs were a thing. Um, yeah. And it would just be at my locker. And nobody would touch it. And I would just go like, oh, this is like 
this is interesting. And then I listened to them. The first ones were like the classic Tribe Called Quest, Illmatic, uh, Eric B and Rakim, um, Radio, LL Cool J. And I was just like, oh, okay, this is good. This is, there's something here that I wasn't listening to. That, so lyrics were really important. The beat was really important. Um, the story was really important. And from there, you kind of have to start there if you're a hip hop, if you're any type of genre fan, because it builds off of that. You won't mm-hmm. understand Kanye if you don't know Tribe Called Quest, um, De La Soul, the, the way they did soul samples, DJ Premier, mm-hmm. um, Wu-Tang Clan. I got really appreciative really fast, and then I got you know hungry for it. I was like, what else? What, what else do you have? What else is there? <laughs> okay, I have Scarface. Okay, I have Velcast. Okay, I have this. And so that, then we, we started that type of bond, and it, it really just grew from there. Yeah, that, that it's a great, great answer because it's it's kind of the way when Noah and I have these conversations, you know, we uh, I think we both, if I can speak for you, Noah, we we both appreciate anything that came before uh, what we currently love or what we've loved our whole lives. I know it's true for me. And like I said, we have these conversations. So it's very cool to hear someone, um, you know, dive in and, and go to where it came from. Some people get very protective. You know, it's their thing and they want that to be it. And I get that, you know, no, right. We were just talking about Radiohead earlier today. And that's you know, <laughs> like you're going to defend them forever, which you should. They're phenomenal and they're, they're your band. But, you know, there's so much that came before and there's so much that's going to come. And if you're open minded enough, just like uh, if ever was 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 talking about, then, you know, your musical horizons are, are endless. Yeah, you, you know, with um, with Radiohead, it was interesting because I, I'm not sure if Tom York still has this perspective, but I know for years um, he was just always very um, uncomfortable, if you will, with, you know, bands like Muse and Coldplay, mm-hmm. you know, just like really taking um, what he made with his band um, in albums like The Benz and, and OK Computer. Um, but I read an Irish Times article um, that talked about the Benz, and there was a quote that was basically talking about a conversation that Nigel Godrich or Godrick, I don't know how to pronounce it, but the essentially Radiohead's sixth member. Um, he's mm-hmm. their he's their producer since um, since it's OK Computer, um, and, and he was talking to Tom York about this, and Tom, Tom was just still very uncomfortable, but Nigel was just like you know honestly like you didn't invent the falsetto you didn't invent um the the man with the acoustic guitar you know you just exactly and, and i think that's so interesting because um stephen hale from the riff even wrote a, a whole article about this and he he keeps on mm. writing comments every now and then about this about how like nobody invented something in music like we mm. all oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 i read that article that was a good one well there, there's a there's a uh, Beastie Boy, uh, Beastie Boy's line that goes, uh, I forget the song, I even forget the, the album, but uh, only 12 notes a man can play. You know? Exactly. And yeah. so when you look at it that way, and whether you're a music- musician or not, you do have to understand that something is always being taken or borrowed or interpreted to do what you want it to do. And that's kind of the beauty of it. Um, I had an argument with somebody recently. Uh, they were talking about like, you know, the history of rock and roll, and they were starting. <laughs> in the 70s and i'm like whoa 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 whoa! wait a second you know there's you know robert johnson was playing you know essentially what became Mm -hmm. rock and roll in the late 1800s and then you have all of the 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 blues guys and then even if you want to take the blues guys and put them in their own thing Mm -hmm. chuck berry i mean 
come on, like really, yeah. you know, you, you, you can't, <laughs> but the people I was talking to was, you know, it was more about the seventies was their thing. So that's yeah. what I was getting at before. Like people get either defensive or maybe they're just blinded by what they like and they, they don't have the ability to go further. So I think that's, what's great about the riff though. And you just mentioned Steven, um, Noah, uh, and, Obviously, guys like Terry and If Ever and, you know, so many other people just write about things that um, you can tell they love. They're completely emotional about it. And I usually learn something every single time I read something from somebody else, a different perspective and, and things like that. So um, I think this conversation could probably last forever because of that. Well, well, if, if ever, um, would you say that you have more of an affinity towards, you know, the musicians of today that you really like, like Kanye or an affinity towards mm -hmm. Kanye's influences in, in genres like soul? Mm -hmm. I, it's that's an interesting question, because I, I try to draw a bridge, especially in my articles between the past and the present. I usually I start in the past and I bring them to them to to bring the reader to the present because that's how I think about the music that I'm listening to but I also consider myself a modern man a person of the present and I do I love new music like it's christmas every day like new music friday <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm there I'm on spotify I used to go to best buy I used to go to these stores circuit city and get those CDs uh, on that that was tuesday back then to yes. really listen to listen to the music but um, yeah, I, I'm constantly back and forth. I, w I would say that I'm definitely more into modern music than older music, but I'm also constantly discovering older music. I'm not, I don't uh, put my nose up to older music. I was listening to Stevie Wonder's uh, Songs in the Key of Life today, actually. One of the best albums ever made. Yeah, end, of end of story. Yep. No, that's like full stop, full stop. Yeah. Totally. Unbelievable. And he influenced, it's amazing how he influenced a lot of uh, hip-hop artists, especially um, the Odd Future Collective, the Tylers, the Frank Oceans, the Earls. A lot of mm -hmm. the way they think about bass and melody came out of his perspective and his vantage point um, in, mm -hmm. in R&B and soul. And so it's, that's something that I really love about music. And if people are really big fans of music, Time almost doesn't matter. Like it, it, it just keeps going. Like people are gonna keep reinventing different types of music within those twelve notes because humans are just, I think, inherently creative. They're they're constantly trying to make something new out of the rock on the ground. Even though it's just a rock, I'm gonna try mm -hmm. to make something new out of it. Um, I'm gonna make the wheel, and then I'm gonna make Tesla, and then I'm gonna make AI, and then I'm gonna <laughs> take mm -hmm. us to the moon. <laughs> so it's. I think that's a really special part about music and about people who listen to music and fans of music. That's interesting. It, it, it's kind of like, yeah, there are only 12 notes that a man can play. And yeah, there is only so much that you could do with it. But I feel like in this day and age, it's, it's kind of like a balance between the music that you make versus the sonic landscape that you make. Mm -hmm. Yep. What, what do you what do you guys think about that? Like like what what do you think about the idea that because the internet is so fragmented, we don't even collectively have a real definition for music anymore since it's such a big pool of different artworks. Oh, 
I'll take a stab at it quick. I think the, the idea that, um, you know, there are too many choices now, you know, and too many choices uh, yeah. isn't necessarily a good thing. Um, it's hard to focus. It's hard to really get into something. Um, it's easier, you know, to distribute and, and discover. Mm-hmm. But I find it harder to pay attention you know, to, to one piece or one artist or one style longer than, uh, I would have in the past had I, you know, thrown the record on the turntable and sat down and listened and read the lyric sheet and looked at the artwork and really felt it. Uh, as opposed to now I'm clicking a link on my phone, I'm giving it 30 seconds and deciding whether it's going to continue or not. And that's not easy. That's, yep. that's, I don't like doing it that way. So I think Noah, did, did I come close to answering that? <laughs> Yeah, kind of, you know, like I was thinking about this over um, a few a few days ago, because a few days ago I, I was on a walk and I was just listening to a lot of EDM and EDM is just so different, right? Like EDM is so different from like conventional strong stru- structures. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. and, and the thing is that a lot of people... Um, who are attached to a certain musical period, they're defensive of how songs were structured in that particular musical period. Mm-hmm. Like, I remember when I introduced um, a few Radiohead songs to someone who's, you know, like, they're not like a huge music fan. Like, you know, they're only used to like 70s and 80s pop or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's like to them, like a Radiohead song is like, this is not music. Like, it's too boring. It's too slow. Like, whatever. Boom! We are back. Um, I apologize. We had some technical difficulties um, in, in the last recording. So what we're going to be doing is merging this recording um, to piggyback off of the last question we had, um, which is about the idea that, you know, in, in the chromatic scale, you only have 12. And by the way, the chromatic scale is only a western thing right you know in other musical systems like indian um i think you have like what like mm-hmm. 17 or 18 microtones something like that but mm-hmm. um you, you know anyway um in, in the western system we have the chromatic scale which is only 12 notes and you could only do so much with 12 notes right um and, and you know the point is that I, I think in this day and age we have so many definitions of um, what music could be. You know, I was talking about in the original recording um, on my walk, you know, I was listening to EDM and it's just like a very different sonic landscape and song structure. And even within EDM, there's so many different uh, possibilities. Like there's this artist who I really like, his name is Acid Arab and I think he's based in Paris. Um, and he had an, an album, I think, called uh, La Hafla, something like that. But um, his songs were essentially like rhythm kind of going on another rhythm, kind of going on another rhythm. But like, as you know, like a lot of EDM songs are not like that. Like they build off of only one rhythm. Then they have like a beat drop and then they have a whole brand new rhythm. So, you know, the point being is that 
how do you both feel about like this idea that there's just so many different definitions for music nowadays? Because it, it seems like before, on the one hand, we like by having like a collectively agreed definition on music, like we had more of an appreciation towards specific music. But on the other hand, today with so many choices, it could be kind of uh, unpermitting, if you will, to. Uh, be so attached to only one style of music. You want to go? Okay. <laughs> you want to go? I'll go first. Um, so this is funny because one of the, so I, I write in a series, like I have buckets that I write in. Some are like my songs uh, to keep you company. Some are album reviews. Some are my album of the month. Some are opinion pieces. And then the, my last type of articles that I write are uh, getting to know genres genre pieces so i kind of just articulate the history of a genre usually a lesser known genre and i kind of try to bring it to the present and connect it to what you're listening to today um and a big reason a big motivator for that was is related to noah's question because when, when we listen to music now there's so there, the diversification of genres is animated through these fusion genres so we're getting like we're not just getting hip-hop we're not just getting rock we're not just getting new wave we're not just getting punk we're getting like electro soul punk fusions in a song let alone an album let alone an artist i think it's exciting personally um but if if art if and then you know you'll have those people that are purists that want to stick to the original I say let them have it. it that, those artists will always be there. There will always be a traditional country artist. Um, they're just not Casey Musgraves. It, but if you're interested in you know, something new, something exciting, you have so much, so much more to listen to. But if, you if you're interested in something new and exciting, but you want to add some context to it, if ever you're listening, uh, that's why I write those, because I think I add a little bit of you know, context and text and just, you know, text to what people are listening to. Um, but I think yeah, of any time, but especially now with the internet. Rob, yeah. What do you think of that? Yeah, no, it's a lot of good points there. And I think um, it's smart to look at different genres um, uh, kind of in a different way, I guess, than we used to. Um, like you mentioned, uh, there were, and there still are traditional artists of, uh, you know, rock and country and even hip hop and Noah, you yep. mentioned EDM. There's traditional EDM artists. Like there's, there are buckets, like you put it, if ever, um, that you can fit music into. But now because of the creation, because of how easy it is to make, distribute, put out in the world, um, people are doing so many different things and they are fusing things together and they are becoming sort of intertwined with one another. And, um, it's exciting, but yet it's difficult to, to harness, you know, it's hard to latch on mm -hmm. to something not only new for some people, but new and different because those are two different things. Yeah. yeah. Right. Um, so I, I don't know what it's like. Like I grew up, you know, a crate digger, you know, uh, a record store guy, you go in and you, and you flip through the crates and you look for the vinyl and, and the cassettes and the CDs. And you just, you, you can, even though that there was a lot there too, much easier to focus because there wasn't just this gigantic wealth of, of sounds. Um, so I find it difficult 
sometimes to to get new music um both actually like have time to listen to it and digest it um and then really pursue it but to your point if ever when you were talking about your writing that's what's so great about the riff and the writers um in it or on it uh they help me discover stuff that i may never have found or maybe i found and knew of but never gave the time to and then i read the words or the description that somebody wrote and i'm like hmm okay this now it makes a little more sense why i should pay attention and and honestly sometimes i like it you know i like the music that I, i hear sometimes i don't but the fact that it was given to me in that way um made it a little bit easier to to uh give some time to it so it's a little meshing of, of writing and music together that's that's helping me out i think ultimately it's about the the have practicing good listening habits like when i first listened to kid a after i listened to okay computer it was very confusing mm-hmm. honestly like it, it was it was it was it was hard it's a different band. after a, what yeah it, it sound like different. a different band yeah. It sounded like a completely, completely different, different. band. But, but, but after like a month, I was convinced that Kid A was better than, than OK Computer. <laughs> like I was just, I was so in love because the, the more I listened to it, the more I digested it. And I think that's the point. I think the, the beauty of the times that we live in today is the accessibility. Now, what if I told you kind of like what, what Stan was saying um, before, um, you know, we had the big uh, technical difficulty um, <laughs> is that there, there, there are 40,000 new tracks being added to Spotify every single day. But yeah. Yep. Like, we have so much accessibility, and I'm sure that of the 40,000, quite a few of them are pretty experimental, but, like, experimentally good. Mm-hmm. But the thing is that when you just have such a high volume uh, of shit, it's so difficult to digest the shit, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so so I, I think it's a matter of, like, it being up to us and, and being accountable for, for, for ourselves, for having good digestive habits, for listening. Now, with that being said, though... I think what's what's kind of ironic about the riff is that the riff has like we have so many people writing now that it's overwhelming for me <laughs> to, 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 to listen to, to any of the stuff because we have so many people writing on, on so many different pieces of music um, that it's like I have to be very selective and, and, and like di- digest. But I think as long as we defy the culture of the Internet of like, you know, us needing to consume everything that's presented to us. And as long as we respect each other as people and respect the fact that, hey, you know what? It's OK to only listen to the same album or band for months mm-hmm. on end. Yeah, sure. um, then then I think that we could promote this like very healthy um, listening habit, because I, I think by having these really healthy habits, um, it's going to be better in the long run. Like after all, before Radiohead, if for me, it was all about the Red Hot Chili Peppers. And mm-hmm. I still have a big affinity for the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Don't get me wrong. But now I, I, I don't look at them the same way that, that I do um, before. Before I used to think of them as like, oh, they're it. You know, like <laughs> this is like, like, like this, this, is, this is it. Uh, and like John Frusciante is like obviously the greatest guitarist ever. I'm not saying that he's 
Uh, <laughs> still a possibility that he is, but then, then, then I started listening to Radiohead. But then, I, I mean, to, to everyone's point, like, I think that at some point there's going to be another band that I discover their catalog and I'm like, oh, yeah. fuck. Like, this is just <laughs> mind-blowing. Yeah, <laughs> but it takes digestion and it takes healthy habits to do that. Well, that's going, that, that, there's no doubt that's going to happen, you know, um, regardless of genre or artist, you're going to be blown away by somebody else at some point. And it's, um, if I can borrow a, uh, a, a phrase from, from Mr. Eddie Vedder from Pearl Jam, it's evolution, baby. Like it just, it, <laughs> it, it, it just keeps going. Right. Um, yeah. uh, we were talking about rap before and, and, you know, I remember listening to, I think you mentioned radio, right? Yep. If ever, yeah. yeah, you talked about radio. What a great record from LL Cool J. Amazing. And yeah, and it was one of the first rap songs and records I got to hear. And uh, after being, you know, a fan of like Beastie Boys, Run DMC, mm-hmm. um, uh, Public Enemy, and and that I, I have such an affinity for that record. To go back to your Chili Pepper comment, Noah, I still like LL, and I still and I liked things he did after that. Yeah, but you know, as raw and maybe, maybe even as dated as it might sound now, if you go back and listen to me, I, it, it's still such a good record. I can't, you know, I, it, it will never get knocked down for me, but I did move on to other things mm-hmm. and I discovered other people and other, you know, so, um, yeah, it, it's the, the best part about music is it just, it doesn't stop, you know, and <laughs> to take the riff, or to take this podcast or, you know, to take any other way of um, learning about the people behind either making the music or people like us who are writing about it, you then become a little bit more like the more you get to know somebody, the more you really learn to respect um, hopefully them as a person, but Mm -hmm. also them as, as, um, as a thinker. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they're now putting their thought onto paper and you respect that even more after you get to know them a bit. And now they're a source. Mm. So the next time I read an article from from Noah or from from you, if ever, or from anyone on the riff, uh, which I've been doing already. But the more you know, now that we're talking to these people, it's like, all right, I know where they're coming from. So exactly. I want to hear more about, you know, who he found, you mm. know, um, like um, when uh, Stan, when you when you see shows. Right. I mean, I know it's. That's a not a very 2020 or 2021 thing. To say. <laughs> hey, I, I want yeah. them back as soon as possible. I uh, know, I know. But when when you see them, right in in the past, and and uh, being a, a writer, um, do you? And I'm I'm asking this because of what we were talking about, like discovery, right? You're discovering new music all the time, and we we discover it in different ways. Seeing live music is a great discovery tool, right? Because there's opening yeah. bands, uh, oftentimes, uh, other than the headliner, you probably bought the ticket to see. Um, but when you're watching a live show, do you watch it from a fan perspective or are you watching it from a writer's perspective? That's a great question. A great. I, I think if we, if we do this podcast, um, <laughs> after concerts come back, I could give you a better answer. Cause I, I feel okay. like I'm an even better writer now than I was because yeah. nobody was reading my stuff before. Um, but I guess <laughs> internally I was like, Hey, I'm a writer. I, I have opinions. Um, <laughs> So that guy's still there, but I have now more reason to think of it as a writer. But currently, no, I'm just a fan. I'm just mm-hmm. like I, I usually go to festivals because you know the, 
the beauty of variety. You have so many options and you could just mm-hmm. pick. I remember seeing Sylvanesso was one of the last concerts I've seen at uh it wasn't made in America. It was it was Governor's Ball, I believe. Governor's Ball, yep. Yeah. And I was I was like a little kid. No, I was excited. I, I everybody was bouncing around. It's just like fun dance, electronic music, but with like a really good rhythm and a good groove. And I was just a kid. And then afterward, I was just like, how did you do that technically? How did you make that transition? But like in the moment, I wasn't I wasn't thinking about it. Yeah. It's interesting, though, because I, I think maybe it depends, like you said, on experience, right? How long you've been writing or, or how much uh, thought you gave to to writing specifically about music. Or sometimes no matter how long you've been doing it, you just show up as a fan. Right. Mm-hmm. Like when I you talk about festivals. And this is, I'm going to date myself, but I don't care because this is, I was lucky enough. Uh, I was at the first four. I went to the first four Lollapaloozas. Oh, so wow. 91, 92, 93, 94. And I went to the first three Warp Tours. Wow. Because um, it was all around the same time. Yeah. You know, I was like 17, 18, 19, 20 or whatever. I was something like that during those times. And if you just do a quick Google search of those early Lollapalooza bands and those early Warp Tour bands, mm. I saw everybody, like everybody that every single that everybody knows now, like they talk about variety, you know, that would they were putting hip hop with metal, with alternative, with folk, with, um, uh, you know, even towards the end, they were getting a little bit poppy and top 40. Like it, 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 it was everything. Um, if I went back to one of those now and I still do it when it was, uh, you know, a thing, um, I think I go with two two mindsets. And Noah, like you're in a state. Well, actually, you're both in states that will probably open a lot more than New York, you know, Florida <laughs> and, and, and Texas. Yeah. Um, so, Noah, like, I guess I, I'd like your opinion, too. You know, um, when you see a show, you know, being a writer, like I, I split it down the middle lately. But what do you what do you do? Do you go purely as a fan or are you looking to, like, really learn something and then want to get it out to the world? I actually haven't really gone to so many music shows in my life. I've only Mm -hmm. been to less than 10, I would say, in in my life. Um, Yeah, because, you know, like, I grew up without being, like, a huge music fan. And, like, the musicians who, like, I was, like, kind of a big fan, but not really. But, you know, like, a fan more because of social circles. Mm -hmm. um, They were, like, the super expensive ones to see. Like, Kanye or, you know, Drake. You know, like, $200 a ticket or whatever. So, like, growing up, like, I wasn't able to afford that. And growing up, too, kind of like what I was saying before, when when, when I, um, when you're not a big music fan, you don't really appreciate going to just, like, live shows of, like, some random band, right? Mm -hmm. It's kind of, like, more, like, noise to you. Nowadays it'd be like, oh my God, like I want to, and it's really because of the pandemic that I started and a little bit before the pandemic when I started to um, become super appreciative of music. But I, I don't think it was really until I started playing um, instruments when I was just like, <laughs> wow, like, you know, like I have so much um, love for this. So, you know, I, I guess I'm going to have to answer your question in the future, but my prediction, mm-hmm. um, if you will, is that I'll unabashedly say it will always come from a fan's perspective because I, I think, and, and, you know, even with writer, the word writer, you have to distinguish the word writer from journalist because, mm-hmm. um, you could still be a writer and still be like super opinionated like me. 
Um, <laughs> and, and, and I'm not, there, there's, there's no way I could just like enter. Um, I mean, there are elements of both, right? So I, I would say that I would be very intrigued by um, the factual things that the band or the musician or whatever did, um, like whether it's like techniques they did or like the type of strong song structure they did, um, their lyricism, whatever. Like that stuff is factual and that stuff is more journalistic. But when it comes to like me actually like appreciating the art, like that will mm -hmm. always come from fandom first. Yeah. Mm. It's interesting that you both say that, uh, um, you know, it's, uh, I, we're also I, younger. I, we're also younger. Yes. You're, you're might, definitely. Yeah. We're in our think, uh, age is a, is an additional factor. Yeah, probably because, um, I've been to so many shows in my life. Um, I mean, I've, I've been, I, I can't count. I, there was a time where I actually kept, uh, I, I kept ticket stubs. I don't even know if you guys know what a ticket stub is. I, yeah. I do. To, yeah. <laughs> they would I've been to enough, enough uh, disappointing yeah. Dolphins games. There you go. Okay. To know what a ticket uh, stub is. So I collect I them. I do collect them. Oh, that's amazing. So you, I, I'm going to bet you've got an older sibling or uncle or parent or somebody in your life that did, that showed you that because I had a shoebox. An old shoebox, and I just kept throwing them in there. How did you? How did you start doing that? Because that's not something, you know, your generation typically would have done. My my parents are pack rats. Um, there you and, go. Yeah, they, they have storage. Yeah, if they ever yeah. listen to this, sorry, mom, and dad, you guys are great. But no, they 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 appreciate old things, and it's yeah. important to keep things because our memory isn't perfect and it won't last forever. And it's important also to like memory to give that to your kids. So yeah, I have a book. I have a couple books of concert tickets, plane tickets. That's amazing. Yeah, I just, that, that's awesome. And I just, I, I, I just want to point out to both of you, one of the things that, um, one of the reasons I think I asked that question is because when I brought up Lollapalooza, it reminded me, I took a break from festivals after those early days. And then way later in 2007, I believe it was, uh, I had done some... Um, freelance writing for uh, a magazine which was an actual magazine but is no longer around because magazines don't really exist much anymore uh yeah. it, was called, it, it was called festival preview and they actually um i tricked them uh enough to get them to send me to chicago uh to come <laughs> to Lollapalooza for them nice. uh th and that's that's when Lollapalooza they had also taken a break and instead of traveling they became stationary and they were in they were in chicago for a bunch of years and I went as, as, you know, the festival preview writer and I started, of course I wrote about the bands and I wrote about the music and I was a fan of, of it first and foremost, like you both said, but what I noticed being, that was my first real thing to do as a writer. Um, I wrote a lot about the fans, mm. the reactions. I watched people watch the music and it was so much fun to do because the way we're talking now and getting um, advice from each other and getting like stories and, you know, just kind of, you know, geeking out on music. When you watch tens of thousands of people do it all at the same time, I mean, every face was a story, you know, everything was, was every dance move somebody did or every conversation I overheard or, you know, every passed out drunk on the floor was, <laughs> was somebody to write. Like it was amazing to watch all of the people experience their version of the festival so ever since then i think anytime i've gone to a show uh, i look at the crowd as much as i look at the stage 
I have a, I have a, a fan, just a geek, music geek question. That, that, that just prompted a question in my head. So I've gone to festivals and I've seen, I went into a show and I'm like, ah, that artist is okay. Not, mm-hmm. not that big of a fan. Afterwards, huge fan. Love them. Yeah. Um, has that ever happened to you guys? Has a live show changed your perspective for the better, like in a drastic way with an artist? You want to go first, Noah? Um, I, I, I'm, I'm thinking. I, I, I'm thinking. Hmm. Uh, 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 honestly, no. I, I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't. Uh, I, I don't. I don't think so. Because you know, again, like I did not go to any single live music show when I was in college. Like, isn't that crazy? Like, in my three and a half years of college, I did not go to any um live music show i only went to live music the the last live music show i went to was after i graduated high school and i think it was um wait no that's a lie oh my god this is gonna sound so bad um i went to the inauguration festivities Uh, (laughs) like i i I hate him obviously like i I really i i fuck donald trump but um you know like being in dc like obviously i took advantage of uh uh, of you know seeing three doors down perform and yeah. um oh and, and i did go to a concert i remember um at metlife stadium and that and that was good i for, i forgot the name some country guy like very big mm-hmm. um i can't believe i i forgot the name but <laughs> i guess like in the moment you know like i always appreciated the musical shows in the moment <laughs> but i was um for the most part, right? Because I, like I said before, like sometimes it would be kind of just like noise, but um, I never like had a show where like I was so in love with the with the show that I was just like, I got to listen to this musician. Um, oh, wait. Okay, no, sorry. That was a lie. Bon Jovi. Yeah. <laughs> That'll in, do it. In high school, in high Jersey school, finest. I went to an, an arena Bon Jovi concert in um, our Florida Panthers arena. And um you know growing up like my mom always played bon jovi in the car and you know like i've always really liked bon jovi and even though like we sat kind of in the higher rises like it was just so cool to see bon jovi in person like you know sing it's my life and blaze of glory and like all these great songs and so i bought um on on my uh my ipod touch or whatever i had at the time um, the greatest hits collection by Bon Jovi, and I listened to that a good amount after. So that was that was uh, my answer. <laughs> uh, I I have I'm, I'll be quick about it because I have a couple, but I'll just I'll just name them. Uh, I have one small story though. Um, I would say so. Is your question is was your question basically who did I see? not really knowing who they were or not knowing much about them and liked them. They were good and then loved them. Or was I just blown away by liking that, them? The show blew you away. Yeah. The show blew me away. Uh, then I'm going to go with two of them. I had three, but two, I would say two for sure. One. And, and ironically enough, they're both um, related to Lollapalooza because that's when I saw both of them. Um, the first one, I'll go in chronological order. I believe was at Lollapalooza one was the band Arrested Development. Oh yeah. Um, I saw them. Yeah. And I didn't know a ton about them. They were brand new at the time and their show was wild. It was, I remember it being something I hadn't seen. I was much more of a rock guy or a punk rock guy. I mean, I have 
tastes all over the spectrum, but I, I, you know, at that point in my life, I was probably seeing more rock bands. I mean, when I was a kid, there wasn't like as much as I, I like rap, like Run DMC, Beastie Boys, like they, you know, uh, um, Public Enemy. There weren't really big tours when I was yeah. in, in like the eighties. Like they they were opening for a bit. Like Beastie Boys opened for Madonna. Like I wasn't going to that. Wow. Tour, you know, um, <laughs> yeah, odd, very odd pairing. That's crazy. Um, wow. Yeah, they, they didn't tour the way they tour now or, or even the way rock bands tour. Rap was so brand new. I don't think anybody really knew what to do with it or how to market it properly. So the tours weren't all that great. Um, but Arrested Development blew me away, and then I became a fan. And then the next one wasn't until this 2007 Lollapalooza that I was telling you about. And there's two reasons. The performance blew me away, but my write-up was one of my, was one of my like proudest moments because I predicted um what was going to happen with this band and it and it happened so i was like see i know what the hell i'm talking about i don't know if it's happened <laughs> since but at least at this one time um and that's the band the fratellis if you guys know who the fratellis are they were they so if you go if google the fratellis i guarantee you there's a a song or two from their first record that i mean i think some of them are commercials now so you've heard wow. them. like they're they're big big songs and in the mid 2000s they really blew up um there was they were they went on first i think it was the saturday or sunday of Lollapalooza. uh they went on first it was like 11 30 in the morning there was like 14 people in front of their stage if that <laughs> i mean maybe maybe more but like not a lot of people and it was a three-piece from scotland i think they're from and they just rock they played that show in front of that few amount of people at 11 30 in the morning as if they were playing wembley stadium you know mm-hmm. or madison square garden they did not care that no one was there. They did not care that no one knew their music. And soon after that, they blew up. They got real big for several years. And then they're still around, but they had their moment in the sun in like the late, you know, like 2007, 8, 9, 10, around there. Um, and I became a big fan. I bought, And then the lead singer had a bunch of solo records and I bought his records. Like they they really were, 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 were a good band. And um, I guarantee you, there's... There's, I can't describe their music. It's very interesting. It's Beatlesque, but it's, okay. if the Beatles were, if, if they were a punk band, maybe. Uh, it's, it's hard. It's very like Oasis type. Of... No, no. I mean, okay. I, you, maybe you can say that because you might hear the accent. You know, like a Scottish accent and British accent are different, mm. but you'll, you'll, you, you can recognize the uh, that that you know European accent um, in the vocals. But no, they were harder than Oasis, edgier. Mm-hmm. uh they had a, they had per, they have personality um and they were funny you know oasis was always way too serious and they hated I each know. other so <laughs> yeah. a lot of drama it's but, ironic band <laughs> yeah yeah uh but yeah those that i'd say rest of development of fratellis after seeing them live really turned me on to the rest of of what they became so that was uh those two that that stick out nice I, I, i'm so jealous you've seen arrested development because they ended so quick too yeah like they I think they had like one album or two and then they were done. Yeah. Tennessee is one of my favorite songs. Tennessee ever. is, it's an amazing song. Holds up. Blew that my song mind. holds up. Yeah. It completely holds up. Um, so, and, yeah. and one of the reasons too, and this, this goes back to the earlier conversation about why, or if music is maybe better today, if it's not, you know, all, all the uh, options we have and how to find music and all the, all the negative of that. But back then a band like Arrested Development and other bands, they, couldn't go further because if their record label dropped them that was it they had no recourse 
You know, there really wow. was no internet in the early 90s. If your label dropped you, you went into obscurity for the most part. Yeah. Nowadays, your label drops you and you're like, okay, well, fuck you. I'll just go put it out myself. You know, or, yeah, how you chance or, the rapper? <laughs> or you don't go to a label at all. Either way. Um, so back then, yeah, the labels meant a ton to the artists and how many ears actually got to hear them. Yeah, that's interesting. Wow, yeah. it's almost as if Stan is interviewing us. <laughs> <laughs> well, well I, I, the, the, I, but see, everybody was asking questions. I wanted to ask one. <laughs> <laughs> but this is what's great about a podcast, Noah, and and this is why the riff is so important because it brings like-minded people together to talk about this stuff and to swing it back to the riff. He's not going to get let off the hook. Um, now, because we should talk to, if ever, about um, his, uh, the, the piece that we, we talked about, his piece that uh, he sent us when we were getting ready for the podcast. Um, because, you know, should highlight his writing and talk about that particular piece. I have some, some comments I want to make on, and I'm sure you do too, but um, what do you think? Should, should, should he dive into uh, yeah, could, could you dive submission? into it if ever? Uh, uh, for me, um, yeah, it's it's a big piece. It's um, I'll summarize it. I'll do that. There's a lot to unpack. What's the title of it first? Give give everybody the title if you know it yeah, off the top so of your head. The title uh, it's I E Y L's 2020 Music Roundup, I believe, okay. um, or something of that nature. Yeah, right. Um, essentially. It's just me talking about the year of music. Um, I do this every, I usually, before, I did it on Medium once for 2019. Actually, Tom York's uh, Anima was my album of the year Ooh, last year. I love that ago. album. So, very under, underrated, very murky, moody, atmospheric, electronic, it's a whole bunch of things. And I didn't see it coming. It's a okay, scary record. It's scary. Yeah, it scares the crap out of it. Don't listen to it at night. <laughs> so we get, to, we get, and before that, I used to do it on Weebly. And before that, it was just on my laptop. But every, I usually would do my favorite 50, all 50, my favorite 50 albums, right about life happened, school. I, I don't have time to write about 50 songs, 50 albums. <laughs> so now I limited it on uh, medium to 15. So I gave you my. 50, 15 favorite albums of 2020 my 15 favorite songs and then i wanted to make it a little bit interesting a little bit creative so i gave you best artists uh artist of the year like a major league baseball like mvp mm -hmm. best uh, veteran best new artist and then best live album because i'm like i'm a huge fan of live albums i have another piece of live albums if you're interested in live albums where i kind of take you to the beginning in America, the recordings of live albums, and then I bring it to the present and some of the big ones that came out the past couple of years. But I was like, what's the best live album that came out this year? I listened to a couple, and especially with COVID, we might not get one for, you know, for 2021 because nothing happened in 2020. So that was, that's the piece uh, in a nutshell. Um. No, do you do you want to do you want to ask him any questions? About I, well, well, I just want to say I'm very opinionated about the whole live album thing. Full some Chris <laughs> Blues, obviously. 
mm-hmm. one of the greatest live albums of all time. I just I just had to get that off my chest. Um, um, <laughs> I, can, I, I completely agree. I don't know how you you know that is a great record. Um, but I love I love the piece because. Well, A, it was you know, very well written, but it was also uh, really in-depth. Like you didn't, you didn't skimp on, you know, when sometimes people can remember, myself included, you write a piece like that where that much information has to go into it. You kind of get tired. You skimp a little bit, you know. Um, it's not easy to do. And, and you gave really just the right amount of um, information and, and intrigue uh, to the artists you wrote about which is what I appreciated because some of them I knew, some of them I didn't. Um, and it all gave me enough to, to say whether or not, you know, it's someone I want to dive into, but I do have an interesting story for you. When I saw, um, and I'm going to blank on his name. It's the Irish kid, uh, David, um, David, uh, Needham, need, need, uh, Dave, yeah, yeah. Keenan, Keenan, Keenan. Um, Funny story, I met him uh, and had probably like an hour conversation with him. Yeah, um, oh. yeah he, <laughs> him, him and his what? manager. Yeah, well, I did. So you're, you're a Jersey guy, right? Um, yeah. And I, I, my label, I did a, um, a label showcase, the very first showcase I had ever done with artists that I was working with at the time. Um, down in Asbury Park at Danny Clinch. Uh, you know, the, the music photographer, Danny Clinch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's got a space in Asbury Park. Um, uh, it's, an art, it's an art space. It's his, it's his gallery. But it's also a performance spot um, where they do little showcases like that. You know, maybe you can get about mm-hmm. 50, 60 people in there and you're looking at all his artwork and his photography and all the famous people he's taking pictures of. And it's a brilliant place to be. Like, you walk in there and, like, there's this massive, you know, Tupac thing. I think it's Dave Grohl, maybe when you first walk in, or Tupac when you first walk in, I forget. But he's got these incredible image of all these famous people. He's taking pictures of Bob Dylan, you know, like, this is sick. Uh, Bruce Springsteen, the list goes on. But, um, so Clinch has this this place, and we did our showcase there. And I became friendly with some of the people there, and, and you know, uh, continued to go back and we put on other shows there and sometimes i would go just as a fan and watch watch other people play and one day i think i was there for i don't know if i was there to go to a show there i think i was just in asbury to hang out with some people i as a matter of fact i might have been going to another club to see a show and i walked in i wanted you because every time i'm there i go and say hello you know and sometimes he's there sometimes he's not sometimes other workers are there that you know uh that i've met know and i want to say hello and check you know check everybody out and say hi and um i walk in and there's this young irish dude you know with his manager and and he's playing these songs and they were beautiful like they were just i mean that's the best way i could describe them like heart-wrenchingly beautiful music and then really nice nice guy the manager was awesome and and we just i'm i'm looking back on the conversation because when it was over you know i got introduced to him and we were talking and i'm gonna say we definitely spoke for a good 40 or so minutes you know maybe more just about his performance about america uh i think this was his first time through um Mm -hmm. playing and maybe his first time ever being here um 
But when I saw him on your list, I was like, wow, what a, what a, what a small world. Like, you know, he's my rookie of the year. He was yeah. like, a, he's a big moment. That's that blows. I'm glad we have this on the podcast. This is yeah. huge uh, for me because, yeah, I, I don't even know how I, I was listening to NPR, uh, All Songs Considered. On Fridays, they usually do eight songs. They talk about their favorite albums of the week. And he came up. And they did a snippet, and it I I'm not used I, I I haven't heard anything like that that type of just poetic, thoughtful you know airy. But he was so young, and yep. he was so like modern, and it, it just but he was clearly he had a lot of references from the past that was informing his his songwriting. But the way he made sense of the world blew my mind. I I became a fan instantly, and. But it was January when this album came out. And I was like, is he going to keep my attention? Like, I'm going to forget about him. But he would, you know, keep up with new songs. He dropped a live album over the summer, which I recommend to people. Um, and it's from shows he did in New York. So that's, okay. it all connects. It all connects. It all connects. And just, so just, really cool. just so you know, because you're a fan, um, he... He is you 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 nailed the description of him like his you know poetic side and and um he's an old soul regardless mm -hmm. of it like he just he you can tell you know how he writes but the way he writes music and the way he sings and his persona when he's speaking he's the same way like he's, oh, wow. he's yeah he speaks poetically he speaks softly he he spoke um very he was very kind and gentle uh as a conversationalist and he was very um you know, wasn't one of these people that when you speak to them, you can tell they're just thinking of the next thing they want to say. Yeah. He was listening. You know, he was listening. He wanted to hear what you had to say and then, you know, have a proper conversation. So he, he the guy on stage and the guy in the song, at least in those few minutes I had with him, he was that guy off the stage. So it was kind of refreshing to see that. Wow. That's pretty yeah, sick. I, that's amazing. I wow. think he's going places. I, I, yeah, he keep him on your radar, folks. He, folks he listening. <laughs> I hope you so. sound like your article. <laughs> <laughs> he's special. <laughs> so, okay, so so let, let so let's talk about him for a second and connected to like what we were talking about earlier today with how we consume and discover music today so mm. do you think that someone like him has the potential to um like blow up beyond like his like big fan base or i mean like his hardcore fan base or, or do you think it's kind of impossible to have like society at large you know look up to one musical figure anymore like the way they did with uh bob dylan back then or kurt cobain back then mm -hmm. that's a great question um there's a lot of there's a lot we could think about and, and when it comes to david <laughs> keenan um quick answer no i don't think i don't think that he can become uh youtube uh, or, like, or a huge Irish band like that um, off of his style this slow folk meditatively you know endearing singer songwriter type of music I, I I could only see him however there are artists that do similar things of what he does but they speed things up and then you know they 
could become Mumford and Son. So there's there's a chance he can do it. He'll need a the cave type of song that'll just like blow up everywhere. Uh, I like the talent, but and he seems to be hungry. He seems to like wanna get bigger. Just he doesn't wanna see. He doesn't seem like he's married to Dublin and he just wants to stay in Dublin and he's just going to be a local artist like he seems to have ambitions larger than where he's from he also released a book in the fall which I was trying to get but that, that sucker sold out faster than Beyonce tickets and um, he has a strong base which is also a, a good sign but I don't know if it's possible a lot of things would have to fall into place but Rob, you have uh, more knowledge, I think, in just music than I do. Is, is there others that he could kind of see as a model to follow, or do you see anything that would? Sort of I don't. Grow? I well, I don't disagree with how you answered that at all. I think you're right um, because of the style of music. He's it's more of a, a niche, albeit a, a gigantic niche. It can be. I mean, you know mm-hmm. that there there's a there's a huge pop part of the population that, that wants to listen to that singer songwriter poetic um um sort of introspective music uh there's no doubt i mean you know <laughs> you mentioned noah you know bob dylan you know simon and garfunkel uh sure. you know joan baez like you, you know they, mm-hmm. they became gigantic for a reason and people love to look inward when listening to to that kind of music um the only thing and honestly uh you know his music better than I do because you've listened more than I have. Um, but I would say in the in the in the traffic jam that is, you know, musical releases these days, uh, the only artists I can ever see blowing up outside of chance, like, you know, we mentioned earlier, like you need the backing of the machine. You just yeah, do. Yeah. It's It's not about talent as it should be. And it, you know, in some ways it was probably always like that, but you know, you know, talent did rise to the top, um, easier back then. Um, now you just, if they don't grab you, if you're not on the Spotify playlists, you know, at the top of the top, if you're not, um, you know, getting multimedia attention and, and getting the three big record labels or one of the three big record labels, I should say, uh, to put their money behind you, how do you get through that 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 traffic jam? How do you do it? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't I don't see it as a possibility, not just for him, but really for I mean, yeah, for anyone. I mean, I mean, look, they're going to TikTok now. I know major labels are going to TikTok and they're signing yeah. people because they want the quick hit, the quick buck. You know, hit me the home run now, and we'll all forget about you next year. <laughs> and a guy you know you can make a hook yeah 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 and you know uh people who write intelligent music and not to put anybody else down but i guess i kind of just did but um, <laughs> you know people who write intelligent music Shots who have fired. something to say uh who 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 have have um it's in their soul they're not going to you know he you're not going to see him on tiktok he's not going to do it no, you know, no, no. so unless it's the old old school traditional way and he gets picked up uh, and pushed, then no, I think I agree with you. He'll he'll be he'll you know what? He'll he should have a sustainable career because he's that good. Yeah, I think. Uh, so. And he should be able to have his niche and play to them and release music to them and tour to them when that's a thing again. Um, 
but yeah, the, the, the blowing up days, I think, are, are few and far between uh, right now. Damn. That's, that's, that's interesting. I, I mean, I think, and you know, I know like we've talked about the riff a lot on, on this episode, um, but I, I, I think the idea of just like an online community of people who really like music and, you know, um, bring up other musicians that they've never even encountered before, like this is kind of the antidote to like what we're talking about in regards to the machine. I think that, you know, just being here in Florida with so many cars blasting pop music, I hate to put down pop music, um, but when I say pop music, I mean, like, anything that's popular, right? Mm -hmm. So it seems like country is, like, the pop music down here. Um, like, I just feel like I, I only hear, like, country um, or, or rap. Um, well, those are the two biggest genres in the world. Yeah, I don't know about the world, but certainly it's in the uh, country. At least in the West. Yeah, definitely yeah. The, the top 40 uh, yeah. of, uh, of genres. And um, the way we treat music, I feel like, as, uh, as the population at large, is, is like shit. You know, we don't really treat it um, yeah. like the art form that it is. You know, we treat it kind of like noise, like the way that I was talking about myself. But granted, yeah, like we should take accountability for you know our poor treatment of music but at the same time i think it's hard to do that when the society that you were raised in just has no appreciation um to music whatsoever like if we actually appreciated mm -hmm. music don't you think that um there wouldn't there would be like more musicians who made money and don't you yeah. think that there would be more backlash against services like spotify only paying um like like four out of a hundredth of a penny um, <laughs> yeah. like I, I feel like you know the sad truth about this is that writers on medium for all of our complaining um about not making money so much on medium like we make way more money than any of the musicians do on spotify per read yeah. just about it yeah. like that so if you think we don't make money yep. like oh my god like yeah we just we don't appreciate musicians we treat them like shit that's well, you know why? You, well, no, and, and I, I, I don't disagree with you, but in my opinion, you know what the answer is? They, what? they, they, and I'm, I'm, I, I just did the old, old guy air quotes thing, but um, <laughs> they, they, they did, uh, they meaning, you know, the music industry, the streaming services, uh, mm -hmm. the companies that are really benefiting um, and only benefiting, they made music free and we don't appreciate free. No one appreciates mm -hmm. free. Mm -hmm. You know, when you when you uh, go shopping and you buy ketchup in a bottle, right? You you use that ketchup in your house. When you get packets from the restaurant or in the, the drive-by, you throw them out because it was free. Yeah. You know, people usually don't care about something they were just given. There's not a mm -hmm. there's not a connection to it. There's no there's no. Um, you didn't assign anything to that. It was just there for you. When you had to spend, and I think it was you, uh, if I, w w one of you talked about not having the 10 bucks to go buy a CD uh, earlier on in, in the podcast, oh, yeah. right? Yeah. That, that was Stan, yeah. Yeah. So if, if you can relate to music costing something, which you clearly do, uh, the 
and I'll use this word, although the transaction between yourself and music becomes more important. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a value to yeah. it and you're giving your hard earned money to, yes, you're giving it to a record company, but you're also giving it to that musician and you're going to mm-hmm. be selective. Noah, when you just said, you know, we treat musicians like shit. Yeah, because they just throw them in our face for free. They're ketchup packages, you know, packets. They're, they're, they're just, just discardable. It's, it's, it's terrible. even worse. It's even they're, they're street or a little stream. They're a little button. I'm just going to press this button, get your album, and then I'm going to cut it off and leave. Uh, yeah, I 100% agree with you, Rob and yeah. Noah. It's, it's funny because as, as, as true as what we're saying is, and, and artists still are getting cheated, and I think being made cheap due to streaming in, in these quick ways, YouTube, all of these ways that are, uh, uh, take music companies and profit off of them or make way more money off on the dollar than they can off of their music. In the past, I almost feel like it was worse. So it's like no matter the media, like even when they were just going to concerts and you had to buy the CD, artists were still getting screwed. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm curious what you guys think. Like. How does how does an artist get out of that conundrum? Is it is it the record deal that they're signing? Is it the in, the way the industry is structured? Because even when it was you had to buy those seventies Motown artists. They weren't they weren't getting paid too well. Or <laughs> like a lot of artists, uh, name them, eighties, nineties, fifties, forties. Taylor two days ago just had to re-record her second album because she can't get paid off of the original because of the record deal she just signed. Um, yeah, it's, it seems to be a, a problem that resists time. Mm-hmm. Isn't it ironic that the name of the record label, um, that Taylor Swift's, um, like the um, record big, label that got sold, is called Machine. Like, yeah, yeah, big, 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 uh, yeah. big what? I think it's Big Red Machine or something like that. Big, big red machine or big radio machine? I, I feel like one of the two. Oh, but yeah, I'm thinking yeah, yeah. of like a Justin Vernon group. Never mind. Yeah, it, yeah. It, it's so big ironic. Big radio. That, yeah, they, that was the name of of the record label. Um, but I, I, I think like um, Rob, do you want to take a stab at this? Like you're like the music business guy, kind of. Well, I mean, I Stan nailed it. It 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 does. Uh, this has happened since the, you know the dawn of time when it comes to record companies and musicians um and yes it does have to do with the record contracts they've signed now you know people can argue back then i don't blame the musicians in the 40s 50s 60s i don't really blame them because yeah. you got to remember there was no internet there was no other way to get your music heard so when you know the guy with the carrot was holding it in front of you and said, if you, you know, follow me, your record and your voice will be heard by millions of people. And they weren't lying. That actually happened. However, you had to basically sign over just about everything in order for that to be, which is why you saw artists well into their 70s and 80s, even still touring because the record companies back then couldn't get it. Couldn't, they tried but they couldn't get a ton of the touring money, if any of it. Nowadays, they do because they have these 360 deals that encompass everything an artist does, so they take little percentages mm-hmm. from everything. But back in the day, uh, these guys had a tour and play forever you know, because their, their publishing was gone. 
their songwriting royalties were garbage and they just couldn't make the living off of that. I don't, I don't blame them though, because it was the beginning of the game, if you want to call it that. Um, and they wanted to be heard. People who sign deals like that now, I'm shocked. I, you know, it's yeah. almost like, you know, I hate the record companies for doing it, but you can't blame them in a way because they're saying, well, I'm going to put this deal out there. It's their problem. If they sign it, like, you know, like that's on them. Like, they know it's a shit deal for the musician, but they just put it out there. Just it's like fishing, right? Just throw the mm-hmm. throw the, the line in and see what bites. And you're gonna get somebody who bites because you know the fame and the fortune and the psychology behind being a pop star, rock star, rap star, whatever, um, is is a is a drug that many people can't turn away from. You know, um, so yeah, they got you. They know. They know that you're eventually going to cave. Um, so it has been around since the beginning. How do we get out of it? Um, you're going to need, and everyone, you know, everyone uses the internet as, as that, uh, solution, but because of what we were talking about earlier, it's so cluttered. How much of a solution is it really? You have to be very creative these days. You've got to be a multi-marketer, a multimedia marketer. You've got to be your own manager, um, uh, record label, um, art, graphic artist, uh, you've got to kind of do it all yourself. And when I say yourself, like when I work with artists, it's not just them by themselves. You have to build a small team, a team of competent people. It could be four or five, it could be 10 or 15, but they're not part of the big machine. Do you know what I mean? Like they're, they're, they're your, it's like your entourage that's you know but but make them competent people and make them look out for your own uh benefit and you know you build it that way but it's very very difficult because uh the big guys know that that exists and they do anything they can to to, to you know just cut it off at the at its head yeah and they'll they'll squash you once they notice um they you're they're privy to that type of information mm-hmm. that's interesting that you mentioned yeah having a small successful team i'm trying to think of the successful artists that kind of trans that went through the label but they kind of still became successful and a lot of them have their teams i'm thinking of like the drakes um the like dave matthews band like mm-hmm. you usually see these guys with the same people um, at least when it comes to like their security, their manager, it's it's the same guys from Toronto, Virginia, mm-hmm. and it's it's that's a good that's really good advice. Yeah, artists could definitely benefit from it. And the internet, yeah, I'm with you. I I agree with you, Rob. I I can't feel. I could only give so much empathy to artists that continue to to fall into that trap because there's now so many artists that are talking up against it. And if I'm seeing it. I'm not even at the label. Like I'm sure other people are hearing it there at the meeting. Like, yeah, they are. You, but you it goes and it it goes back to the drug analogy. It's a it, you know people are you know if you're if you're an artist if you're a musician if you're a writer if you're a painter if you're you know whatever you are um, part of you wants your art out in the world and that's so mm-hmm. intoxicating if somebody offers you the ability to do that beyond your own means. Um, you have to have a lot of discipline and a lot of um, self-awareness to turn that down. It's hard. And you know what? And then, you know, and I mentioned the psychology of it earlier. I use that term on purpose because you don't know where these people are coming from. You don't know who they are as an individual. You don't know the poverty they may come from. You don't know 
the current status of their family. Um, you don't know their health situation. You know, I mean, there's so many reasons why people will just say, you know what? Yeah, I know this sucks and I know mm-hmm. this is rigged against me, but what else am I doing? Like, mm-hmm. this is my only, this is my only ticket out, you know? And, you know, sometimes it, 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 you know, yes, there are just those power hungry, fame hungry people who are clueless and they just do it. But I guarantee you there's a handful of people that are just like they're struggling and they need, you know, uh, they, they, they need it. And again, they're taken advantage of. But, you know, I guess that's up to the individual to um, to 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 look themselves in the mirror and, and deal with. Yeah. Yeah. You know, honestly, like, I, I think um, it, it's, it's interesting because with any sort of art form, um, I, I genuinely believe that it should always be about the art first. It should be the music first. Mm-hmm. It should be the writing first. It should be the painting first. It should be all that first. So I think in this day and age, the idea of being a professional musician or a professional writer, but from the art perspective, because art makes such little money online nowadays, it's so hard to like be some sort of professional artist with the art being the main income stream. I mean, this is why you have writers on Medium who write fiction, but they also have jobs or they freelance, you know, and and this is why you probably have so many of these Spotify artists um, doing the same thing, you know, having jobs or, you know, doing something that is relevant with their music, but also gives them some sort of uh, gig that that has like some sort of career path or, you know, some income stream. So I I just, I I don't know. I think that we're in like this really confused day and age, but I also genuinely believe in this idea or in the idea, I mean, that the future is so unpredictable, but at the same time, it only takes a few very powerful and ambitious visionaries to have their imagined future become the actual thing because after all like what we see today with music or with social media or whatever all it took was a few very ambitious entrepreneurs um to say hey you know what this is what the future is going to be and it was never guaranteed that the future was going to be this way as much as they convinced other people that the future was going to be this way and once enough people bite into that logic then um it becomes sexier to eat up that logic because the more people believe in it the more socially acceptable it is and thus the more um likely that you are to follow it so i i i think that you know, we don't really have these, uh, you know, back then in the 2000s, like Daniel Ek was the ambitious guy from Sweden who was like, hey, this mm-hmm. is how we solve piracy, right? Mm-hmm. But now Daniel Ek has turned into the big bad machine, right? <laughs> so so yeah. the question is, what kind of uh, entrepreneurial figure slash figures will be the people who fight against that big bad machine and have their vision come to light and also um, really take their imagined picture of the future and turn it into the actual future. Well, 
I, I think it's a great point. You, you, I, I agree with that whole line of thinking. And if I'm going to answer, my, my answer would be, and, and Stan, you know, um, definitely want to hear yours. Mm-hmm. If you're speaking musically, Noah, uh, it has to come from a musician. It has to. It can't come from an entrepreneur in the, in the way that, you know, you mentioned act. Because eventually they're going to get bought by, because that's what happened. The, the major labels basically, you know, they've got Eck in, 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 in their, they're all in each other's pockets. Let's put it that yeah. way. Now, he's an entrepreneur. He's a businessman. So, you know, good on him. That, that's what he intended. Maybe he, he's an artist. He doesn't play. Somewhere. I think, no, right? I don't think he does either. But yeah. maybe his intentions were good. But, you know, intentions only go so far um, when that, mm-hmm. that bag of money is there for you. Um, <laughs> but the, the next creator of the next wave or the next project or the next, you know, thing that becomes big has to, if we're talking music, it has to come from a musician. Because they've got to prop up their own instead of being reactionary to the world and the business around them, create the world and the business around them, you know, and then don't go get bought by somebody. Do you know what I mean? Like um, Brett Gerwitz from Bad Religion. Um, Bad Religion obviously is a very popular punk band, but they're not necessarily a household name. Um, there's way bigger punk bands that became, you know, much, much, much more rich and famous than Bad Religion, but they were one of the more influential people or bands in the early 80s. Brett Gerwitz decided, you know what, we keep getting mentioned as all these other huge bands' favorite band, and, you know, we're still playing for 25 bucks a ticket, like something is wrong, so he started his own label. And then punk band uh, um, musicians worked for him. Even guys in Bad Religion worked for him. They started their own label. They started their own thing. And they, they started, you know, producing and putting out records they wanted to hear. So that's another place where musicians can go. Start your own thing. It doesn't have to be a label. I just use that as an example because it became successful. But start your own thing and keep it your own. When Sony comes knocking, say no. Mm-hmm. You know, um, figure out a way to lift the musicians up and keep them there with you. And yeah, sure, you can benefit from it if you're the one that started it, no problem. But once you give it to that next level, it just becomes Spotify. Yeah. It becomes part of the machine. I, it yeah. becomes part of the machine. Yep. Yeah, I feel like we're having a deeper like capitalist question. But within <laughs> keep not going there, not going into that ideo- ideological uh, conundrum. Um, a few, I have a few things I wanted to, to mention. So th- that idea of like having the artist start it, I love that idea. My heart says, yeah, that's true. But my brain is like, it, it just happened. Like title, Jay-Z, he did it. Um, he started, he seen Spotify, Apple Music was about to come and he tried to uh, beat them to it, started title. And he made, had that big event, had all of his artists, Rihanna, Beyonce, Jeff Kanye, West, Coldplay, the guy with the uh, mouse or something like that. I forgot his name. Um, they're Dead stakeholders. Mouse. So a lot. Dead Mouse. Yeah. Great, great artist live. I thought he I seen him in Made in America. Um, no, that was Marshmallow. I get them confused. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> I get them so confused. But so he started that label. He started that streaming service. He made artists, uh, stakeholders, and he tried to make sure that artists were getting paid appropriately or more appropriately. And he also tried to incentivize people by having better quality sound. It was about high quality sound. Okay. 
Fast forward a couple years to March, or this first week of March, he sold it to Square, which is owned by Jack Dorsey of all people. There you go. For two, yep. for about three hundred million. So I think I don't know if it's possible. I think there's a better solution. Definitely, the solution, the situation we're in now is is bad. It's like really bad. I don't know if we could ever get to like every artist making what they deserve, mostly because. Society, I think, thinks as a lower tier um, utility than other skills. And, and I think we would have to change that, which is a larger sociological, uh, psychological question. But in terms of like music, the music industry that we have now and the actors that we, we're seeing now, we're getting a few little wins. I think title was a win. I think what Taylor is doing is a win. Um, and we're just going to need, like like Noah said, we're just going to need more ambitious, really ambitious people that are just going to manifest the future in their image, Mark Zuckerberg style. <laughs> well, well, here's, here's the thing about title um, that, that I want to bring up, and I don't think people realize this, but these big musicians like Madonna, who was a shareholder, yeah. um, you know, yeah. Coldplay, who was a shareholder, blah, 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 they, all their content was still owned by the 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 big corporate machine labels you know mm -hmm. so the thing is that like yeah like all these artists could have you know this idealistic vision but if your content is owned by someone else you legally do not have any control over it it's the yeah. people who operate the firm that owns your content so so the thing mm -hmm. that really pisses me off when we talk about title is that people forget to talk about that people are like mm. oh you know like you know title like all these big artists you know blah 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 like you know they're they're shareholders and titles so you know therefore like we're gonna like disrupt the music scene no they did not they got bought by square like <laughs> and, 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 and you know to, to to give them credit i think the acquisition on square's part is going to be really good for the musicians because you know square um yeah. they, they 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 have that um I mean, they have the capability to really help musicians monetize on tour, mm -hmm. right? With mm -hmm. merch um, mm -hmm. and, and, you know, with other online um, or even physical goods and services. But still, like, this is not this is not the solution, because at the end of the day, I mean, what we were talking about earlier in, in the podcast, like I wasn't able to afford to go to any of these like big um, people because they were just so goddamn expensive. And, and, and now it's like not only do you want to monetize more off of just super expensive tickets, you want to monetize even more uh, 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 off of merch. So mm -hmm. I, I think we just need to discuss like other we, – we need to start monetizing the album again and songs again. I think iTunes was the perfect yeah. solution. Yeah. People were yeah. still buying shit off of iTunes. So I agree. Yeah. No, they were. And, and, well, and that's why I like the title um, conversation because that, that's why I, I prefaced mine with – just don't sell like the idea was great but eventually you're going and i again not blaming people because you put that kind of money in front of somebody and you know how many people can say no but if you don't sell and to your point noah um the other people involved were major label artists which meant they did not own the the, the, the chunk or the, the large majority of their publishing songwriting um, so they really couldn't call many shots, which is why you see, you know, people like Bob Dylan selling his catalog, his catalog now, yep. you know, because he knows and his people know, and, you know, everyone else who's been doing it, uh, after him, they know that, you know, the royalties are just going to get lower and lower and lower. 
you have to be able to create whatever the thing is. And I have, I have no idea what that thing is. But if you can somehow, and it's a big if, keep it there. Let it stay. Because if other people want it, guess what? It has value. If somebody right. is offering you something for something yeah. you have, ask yourself why. Why yeah. do they want this? Why are they throwing hundreds of millions of dollars at me? I must be onto something. So if you're onto something, stay on it and try. And now I get it. Other companies have much deeper pockets and, and they own everything and they make it so that they can help you grow if you do this and all that. I understand that. But maybe it's too idealistic, but I'm, I just wish there was, you know, musicians for musicians or artists for artists um, in a way that can sustain and yes, if you sold, you can make more. I get it. But if there's ever a way to do that um, for the entire industry, there might be your, your win. But I don't know what that is. And I, I just I don't want to see Spotify continue to do what it's doing. And then back uh, stand to the earlier conversation. I don't want to see artists uh, from the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s and whatnot. Um, I don't want to see artists of today have to go through what they did. You know, having to play mm -hmm. until their 80s um, just to pay the rent because, you know, Sony keeps cashing the check and not them. Mm -hmm. So it's it's tough. It's yeah, a very, it, it, would, this, it would require that conversation is, is uh, you know, it's never ending, really. It's never. Yeah, it's an endless question because it would require almost a selfless artist. Like an artist might get yeah. not it might not work out for them, but they might have created the infrastructure for like the next generation of artists, but they, they themselves might still have Sony or one or, or anybody own their, own their stuff. Yeah. And maybe, it, or, or it could be, you know, an artist who sold all their music or bought, actually that's the opposite of what we want, right? We don't want an artist who sells all. So right, like we what want Dylan did, what Stevie Nicks did, we want them to keep it. So they're actually, that's a loss. Yep. Um, and and you it know sounds what? like Ali might do it too. <laughs> you uh, you made um, a reference to your article or a reference in your article um, about baseball um, when you're talking about, you know, um, rookie of the year and MVP and all that. And that just made me think when you said, you know, we need somebody selfless, we can go back to a sports analogy and we need a Kurt Flood. We need a Boomer Esiason, uh, a Freeman McNeil. These are athletes who helped create free agency in their sports and were ostracized by, by um, uh, ownership, took less money, put their skin on the line, their lives on the, or not their lives, I mean, it was a game, but they, 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 they laid it out on the line um, for not only themselves, but they knew if they were able to change things for everyone who came next, they were all going to benefit. So when Kurt Flood you know, created free agency, essentially in Major League Baseball, it became something that was, you know, look at it now. We have $350 million players, yeah. you know? So yeah. it's, and, and people have to be able to step over that line. Boomer Esiason, you know, when he was a Cincinnati Bengal, um, crossed, I uh, didn't cross, but like, uh, uh, we would lay, I think he laid down in front of a bus. I mean, you know, that's, that's, he wasn't really going to get <laughs> killed, but he, he, he did it as, he's like, no, this has to stop somewhere. You know, we need our fair share. And um, I don't know. Uh, where are those, those, those men or those women or 
those groups that are willing to do that. Maybe it's just so cutthroat out there that no one can really afford to be that. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. Well, we have Bandcamp, um, yeah. but yeah. I don't think I, I don't know if Bandcamp's the solution because the thing is that hypothetically Bandcamp is like you know I know their website is like um, and you know we're gonna get going after this part of the conversation since you know I know we've been talking for over an hour despite the fact that's been very fucking interesting everyone. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I'm having fun. I like it. No, I, I, I love this, but, you know, shortening attention spans and, and stuff. Yeah. Um, but, um, you know, anyway, what I was going to say about Bandcamp is that, like, yeah, I know that their user interface largely hasn't changed since, like, the 10 or so years since they existed. But here's the thing about Bandcamp. Hypothetically, all, like, they have all the needs, right? Like, this is the place where, like, musicians could have their domains, um, like actually, like you know, um, if ever you're listening, .bandcamp.com, you know, something like that, or like noahlevy.com, you know, something like that. Um, but 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 the thing, but the thing about Bandcamp is that at the end of the day, who are the main users of Bandcamp? It's only um, big music heads like us you know yeah. so i i think it requires more than a new business like hypothetically something like Bandcamp would be perfect for this because you could still buy musicians merch you could still buy their their records um in full price and you know Bandcamp takes a very small commission fee um the thing that we really need to change i think is the culture around music around the idea that you know shouldn't just be like music heads like us who are, are music heads like it should be like a whole collective societal appreciation um, towards music. But I'm curious to hear what you guys think about that. And then we'll conclude the episode. Yeah, no, I, I'm a big uh, Bandcamp fan. I, I, I use it often to find, I have new finds to get out of the Spotify and Apple music algorithms. Cause I feel like they're tricking me into like liking a certain type of sound. And I'm like, no, I don't want to listen to more pop rap. I want to listen to like, Freaking EDM. I want to listen to it. Like, okay. So I, I found like this guy, Farhat. He's a uh, German, but he's from Af he's German. He's ethnically, ethnically uh, Afghani, but he lives in Germany. So, but he makes hip hop music, which combines traditional Afghanistan uh, music and folk music, hip hop instruments and, uh, and beats. So it's a beautiful, beautiful albums. He's a label head. Highly recommend this music. I found it on Bandcamp, and that's a solution. I appreciate artists like Suvion Stevens. He's always talking on there. He's sharing his music. He communicates with the fans. So they could also have that direct contact, which is a really beneficial part. It gets rid of the middleman of Spotify. But like you were saying, um, no, it's it more difficult, actually, for them to compete uh, if they're just on Bandcamp versus um, Spotify. It's, it's really because the mass, the smaller number, the less popular artists who can't benefit, who I'm not gonna buy your full album because I don't like you like that, um, they have to go to Spotify because they could make more money on Spotify. Uh, and, and Bandcamp, unfortunately, can't provide that. But I think Bandcamp, I need to study Bandcamp and like how they started. If their leader is, the, if their founder is still the, the leader of Bandcamp, he, he has something that he can work with. He could be a, ahead of the charge. I don't know. But definitely a solution. I still think this title, uh, 
option is another solution. We just might need more ambitious uh, people. The, that could have just been the blueprint, and now they could, you know, take it to another level. No pun intended. The blueprint. I, I know Jay Z, the blueprint. I get it, Jay. <laughs> you're all, you're always the blueprint. You phenomenal rapper. Well, well you know, oh, it's still controlled by Jay Z, kind of, because Jay Z's on the board is. of directors of Square you know, now. No. He, he knew what he was doing. When you ask, when you hear him talk about this um, acquisition, he's not pessimistic. He's saying that he still has the artist's best interest in, at heart and he's still making decisions in the room. So I still think he's definitely a player, but um, like Bob uh, was saying, and with, like what you were saying now, there's more that can be done. And I don't think title is, yeah, the end all be all. There's others that I think could take it further. Rob, do you have anything to add? Um, well, you guys summed it up really well. I'm not going to trample on any of that. Um, I will, what, what we just heard, um, I will say that Bandcamp has the ability to have that direct connection with artists. I see it with some of the artists I've worked with and just artists I follow. And so that and, and that again, that goes the connection that's made is super important because you can solidify a fan for life with that kind of connect. It's, it's just like what we're doing. Right. We become better or bigger or more of a fan uh, of writers once we know them, I think. Yes, we can like the work and yes, we can identify with what they're saying and the words and being turned on to things that maybe we didn't you know, know of until we read a piece. But once you get to know someone a little bit, there's a, there's just a different human connection that happens across all all areas of, of, of life. And music for sure is that because music is emotion. Right. And it's energy and it makes people feel. Um, so when you can connect to an artist, you're going to have a fan like that artist will have that fan forever, probably. But again, to the Spotify point, like you mentioned, uh, Stan, they, they <laughs> You got it. Like you almost they're they're telling you where to go. Just like you said, I, I don't want stop telling me what to listen to. I don't want to listen to this. Everybody's mm -hmm. telling you where to go. And then like, you know, little little, you know, what is it? Lemmings or, or, or sheep is always the wrong word. People who use sheep. It's not sheep uh, that, that, that really follow. Uh, there's plenty of other animals that follow more, I think. Um, anyway, I feel uh, like horses know. follow pretty, yeah. pretty well. Yeah, there's a, definitely not cats, but um, there's, plenty of, cats. <laughs> there's plenty of other animals that, that, that follow along and people just go to the most, um, in this case, corporate of places or popular of places and they just throw everything in there hoping it'll, you know, it'll shine uh, because they're in the biggest uh, room, I guess. So, yeah, I, the, the idea behind Bandcamp is great. It's the one where you're going to make the connection and from a sales point of view. Um, that's what a sale is. It's connecting with somebody. That's why advertising is what it is. You know, the most successful ad campaigns are the ones that touch people in whichever way they do it, whether it's subliminally or it's, you know, kind of direct. If you're touched by something and you can, and you can feel like you're a part of something you purchase. Um, but it's not big enough and it doesn't have the backing of the, uh, of the bigger, um, or, or, or the biggest of the big people because they can't get their hands on all the money. So it's, it's tough, man. It's a, it's a, it's a really, really, really tough thing. And I think, um, smarter people than me will, will figure it out at some point. I hope for the musician's sake. Um, 
because artists of all kinds need to be paid fairly. It's just, you know, it's, it's, I mean, what are we to 2021 and we're still talking about artists being ripped off. And I know. Not it's, it's like it's, such a 1940s conversation. It, it is. <laughs> exactly. You know, society moves at such a snail's pace sometimes. And, and, and you know, um, there's, there's, I guess you're going to have podcasts on that all day long, too, and figure out why people are the way they are. But um, um, there's a line I like to use a lot. Um, uh, oh, and of course, now that I said that, I'm going to blank on his name. Um, Howard Zinn, the writer, the Howard oh, yeah. Zinn, uh, said, uh, you can't be neutral on a moving train. And... You know, things just keep going and you can't stand, you can't stand still because everything is always moving. But yet we keep getting stuck in some of these places when it comes to music and art. Like we're not moving. We're, you know, everything's moving around us and music is just kind of or the music, the business of music is just stuck. It's not moving at the, at the same speed as everything else. And, you know, it's 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 uh, it's a big shame. But with so much money involved, I think you'd always assume that the people who hold that money <laughs> they're never letting it go you no they're going to do everything in their power to, to not let it go you, you can't mix the art and money in no. my opinion like i i think there's a huge difference between a movement versus um an economic shift and um like grunge wasn't an economic shift mm. you know um the Beatles weren't an economic shift, you know, like these were all like cultural moments, like, but they um, were both turned into economic shifts. After they were turned, they were turned yeah. into that, yeah. you know, it, it's just a matter of, um, but I mean, then it gets into the whole thing about like, well, the only reason why they did that was really out of desperation. Like if artists weren't going to make money off their art, then what were they going to make money off of? But then it gets into the whole other argument of like, does the society, like, you know, the government, like, do we have a responsibility to, um, you know, provide more of a cushion for, for artists, you know, things like that. But that's a whole different thing. Um, But everyone it was such a pleasure um if ever you're listening was our featured artist on um today's episode um thank you so much um and really quick before we say our goodbyes um of the recording um words of rob janik owned by rob janik words of if ever you're listening owned by if ever you're listening slash stan words of no levy owned by no levy uh, music originally composed by Noah Levy. Thank you so much, everyone. It was Take great. Care. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon.